1: Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your genes. I'm Ian Wolfe. This week, Stephen Freeland talks about Space Force.
2: We've never had a war in space.
1: But first up, here's news of llamas. LLAMA GENE THERAPY Researchers from Scripps Research in California led a nine-institution study that found that llamas make better antibodies to the influenza virus that causes the flu than humans do. Humans make large antibodies that target the head of the proteins that coat the influenza virus. It's what they can reach. This outermost part of the coat mutates very quickly so that you need a new vaccine to protect you each year and you're only protected for the beginning of the flu season. This is serious because influenza kills somewhere between 300,000 and 600,000 people each year, according to the World Health Organization. Llamas make smaller antibodies that target the base of the influenza virus proteins, the inner part of the protein coat that doesn't mutate as quickly. The goal of flu research is to give protection... Against as wide a number of varieties of the influenza virus as possible for as long as possible. The llama antibody therapy would protect you for the whole flu season. The general technique could be applied to protective treatments against other viruses. The researchers put together several larva derived antibodies to different strains of flu and stuck them together on a human protein scaffold. They injected the results into mice. These mice were exposed to A and B varieties of the flu virus and survived exposure to five different varieties of influenza. The researchers next put the genes for making the antibodies into a cold virus and injected the modified cold virus into mice. These mice incorporated the new genes into their own cells and started producing the llama antibodies to the flu on their own. And so these mice were protected for the whole flu season. Like flu vaccines, the researchers see the need to apply fresh gene therapy each year as the flu viruses mutate their protein coats and stop being identifiable by the llama antibodies. This llama gene therapy would be controversial to use in humans. But in the future, perhaps we'll all become part llama. And as an aside, the word llama is spelt with two L's because the English word llama is taken from the Spanish word llama. However, it's been anglicized, so it's llama. Even the Latin name for the animal is llama glama, of course. You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. Space Force. Stephen Freeland is Professor of International Law and Dean of the School of Law at Western Sydney University. After many technical difficulties which caused some odd sounds you can hear at times, I spoke with him over Skype. President Trump and Vice President Pence have announced that they are interested in forming a space force to fight wars in space, a war-fighting domain, they called it. Is it legal and is it a good idea?
2: uh, It's a really uh, complex question. Um, Firstly, I should make the point that any country can, you know, establish its military in whatever way it think is appropriate. So it's not for me to tell the Americans what they can and can't do under American law. That's fine. Clearly, just announcing that they're going to do this is one thing, and what that may or may not look like down the track, if at all, is another, of course. As to the legality, I mean, there's not... so So intrinsically, there's nothing illegal, quote-unquote, in announcing that you're going to set, up, set this up. I think it's unfortunate that they've ratcheted up the rhetoric so much because, as I argue to anyone who will listen to me, but also in, in recent f- pieces that I've written, um, by ratcheting up the rhetoric, what you're doing is, un- unfortunately, encouraging others to react in a, in a similar way. We all know already that uh, the major space powers and others view space in uh, with military eyes in many of their capacities. We all know that already for many decades now, space has been used for military purposes on Earth and has been used for the conduct of uh, armed conflict and other conflicts on Earth. We all know that. So we all know quite clearly that there is a military aspect to the way we use space. Now, that's very different, of course, from saying let's now regard space as an area where we can legitimately carry on uh, warfare in space. But I'll come to that in a minute. So, So it's clear from the practice of states that space can be used for military purposes, has been, and no doubt always will be. My argument is that that's true, but space is used for so many other purposes as well. Space is so positive for us in so many ways, and my argument is that we have to be clear that there are many conversations about space and that we shouldn't just be listening to the loudest voice in the room and perhaps at the moment the loudest voice in the room are those advocating that space is a war fighting domain space that war in space is inevitable now firstly i don't think that is true but secondly if you listen only to the loudest voice in the room then that completely jolts the way that we view space and space is incredible you know it's it's had so many positive aspects as well as no doubt having this strategic and military aspect okay which is an important part of space but it's by no means the only part of space and so my argument is that we've got to make sure in the way we move forward in space that we listen to all the conversations not just the loudest one in the room Now, in terms of the legality, well, of course, people will interpret what the legal position is in different ways, and many people disagree with me, but if you look at the object and purposes the treaties and particularly the Outer Space Treaty. And if you look at the preamble, it talks about space being used for exclusively for uh, peaceful purposes. If you look at the very first resolution of the General Assembly about space, it was about space being used for exclusively for peaceful purposes. We all know that in the end, in the substantive provisions of the Outer Space Treaty, because of the particularities of the situation, because there are only two main space powers at the time, and they themselves wouldn't, wouldn't want to be so bound by rules, why would they agree to that? Because they were the only two players in town, and they were both looking at space as this new idea of expanding their military capabilities. We know that some of the substantive provisions give rise to different interpretations. And so some people latch onto that and say, well, it doesn't specifically prohibit war, therefore war is allowed. You know, that is, firstly, a, a naive way to look at, I think, an international agreement because one has to look at it as in a holistic way. And the object and purpose of the Space Treaty is really to allow for space to be utilised for peaceful purposes and to be utilised in a way that we can maximise benefits. That's what it's about, benefits for humanity. But the other thing is by just saying because it's not expressly prohibited it is therefore permitted completely misunderstands the way that international law works you know people latch on to one statement by the permanent court of international justice in the 1920s when international law adjudication was really at its infancy when the world was far less complex when people were far more suspicious of international law and when they were looking at a specific set of circumstances They said, well, perhaps, you know, you need to have an express prohibition. But that was 90 years ago. The world has changed. International law has changed. The world is far more complex. And it's a really dangerous thing to be saying in any respect that, hey, if international law does not expressly prohibit bad behavior, therefore the bad behavior is permissible. Let alone the practice of states. We've never had a war in space. We've never had a war in space, even at the height of the Cold War, even as the United States and the Soviet Union were looking at space with military eyes and developing all this technology. And, you know, there's so many complex issues about that. So there are certainly arguments to say that utilising space and conducting warfare in space, making space a theatre of war, in my opinion, is contrary to the object and purpose of, of the Outer Space Treaty, people will disagree with me because they will latch on to specific words and specific sentences and they don't look at, in my opinion at least, the totality of what we're trying to achieve. But we're nowhere near, you know, we can't say that the announcement by the United States is illegal. Of course, in the end, the legality or otherwise of whatever a country does will be determined by their actions, not by their statements, in this respect at least. So hopefully, in the end, common sense prevails and those other voices are listened to. And because space can be utilised in so many ways. Sure, it's competitive and sure, it's strategic and sure, it's important for military activities on Earth. But that is a whole different dimension from saying okay it's now free reign in space in terms of warfare and that's something that I think must be avoided at all costs.
1: I think the American military might want to say to you that Russia and China have military in space so do they have to do the same?
2: of, Of course I mean the argument is that the other guys are doing it whoever they may be and therefore we have to respond. I completely understand that, but we all we have to also understand that they're all doing it. It's not as if, uh, and this is not a criticism of any one country, but it's not as if the United States has done nothing, and all of a sudden they realize that other countries have developed this. As I said, the United States and the Soviet Union, from the beginning, looked at space with military eyes. They were developing technology with military eyes. So everybody, all of the major powers, are developing military capabilities in space and that's where the danger is by ratcheting i mean they're all doing it but by ratcheting up this this um rhetoric by saying we the united states or any country you know are going to dominate space that i think gives rise to making the position worse because others will respond and they'll put even more energy into the development of weapons in space perhaps or what I call the creeping colonization of space by saying, well, we're going to now have areas that we cordon off and don't allow others in or or whatever. So you're absolutely right, Ian. It's not as if this is a pristine area and all of a sudden people are badly behaving and the Americans have to react. We all know that all of the major space powers are looking at this, but therefore there's a danger in ratcheting it up even more because you're not going to discourage them. You're not going to discourage others by saying we are going to dominate because space is so strategically important, you're only going to elicit, I think, like with like. And I think that's a dangerous spiral.
1: So we could end up with an arms race in
2: space? Well, to a certain degree, we already have it, of course, because, you know, you and I are not privy to this, but clearly all major powers are looking at various ways of promoting their military capabilities in space. All of them are, right? What I'm saying is the rhetoric, no matter who it comes from, makes that drive towards that that race to the bottom in terms of developing this capability, even in a sense, more urgent in the the eyes of everybody. And, And I think that's a dangerous precedent, particularly because space is so important in so many ways. And there are so many positive aspects. And in the end, and, and this is really the crucial point, in the end, who will suffer? I mean, space it's interesting to compare space and climate change, right? With climate change as a major global issue, in the end, although I'm being simplistic, those who are the most vulnerable are the weakest countries, right? The the islands, the, the small island states, etc. So if if we exacerbate the problem the weakest countries will suffer at least initially in the most way. Of course, that will flow on. In space, the most vulnerable are the largest countries, the most powerful, because they are so dependent on space. And so that, to a certain degree, if you continually ratchet up the rhetoric, you may be, hopefully not, but you may be encouraging irresponsible behaviour, and in the end, everybody loses, including and particularly the major powers. And I think... In the end, that's why you need to hear all the voices, to recognise that that is not a way that makes sense going forward. At least that's my opinion. As you said, people will disagree with me. Disagreement is good, but all I say is let's hear all the voices, not just the loudest in the room. And,
1: of course, the Americans have the Air Force Space Command for decades now operating in space and looking after their national security interests in space, I've seen arguments put that if there was a new branch of the military, they would have different interests and there'd be conflicts amongst the different branches and they'd be less protected in space.
2: Well, of course, that's a, that's a good point. And I'm not in a position to comment on the internal machinations. But, of course, I've read all the reports that, that have said, you know, this... this idea of quote-unquote a space force is not necessarily new and when it's been brought up in the past congress has been reticent and the air force where as you say at the moment have the major responsibility for space activities the air force have said we don't need this we're in control clearly by creating a a sixth force within the u.s military um, depending on how they do it you you may be creating duplication you may be creating more bureaucracy that may or may not Uh, lead to, to, if you like, more inefficiencies rather than efficiencies, clearly there's a cost element involved as well. But we still, well, I certainly I don't have a a feel for what, if anything, this might look like. And maybe it's at the moment, uh, even though the vice president and the president said they're moving forward, maybe it's more statements for domestic consumption and perhaps uh, also trying to make a point to other countries than actual movement towards action, although maybe they are doing that. But you're right. You know, everything I've read says the US Air Force is probably not necessarily enamoured with this proposal.
1: I've also heard President Trump mentioned going to Mars in reference with the Space Force. Does that mean they might take over NASA?
2: Oh, i i'm not aware of that ian um nasa of course as you know is a is under its its mandate is for civilian uh, activities i've not heard anything about that nasa continues you know nasa is a large bureaucratic organization clearly sometimes things don't work according to plan but nasa is involved in so many amazing projects um it would be uh, surprising to me but also i think a really negative thing is if, if NASA were taken over by a military arm, uh, you know, frankly, I don't know, but I, I, I'd be surprised if that were ever uh, to happen in reality.
1: Do you want to talk about the positive side of what's been happening in space lately?
2: What is space? Okay, I mean, firstly, we, we have to recognise space has been used for military purposes all the time. It's unfortunate, but that's the reality. Secondly, space is increasingly of a dual use nature. So commercial satellites are now also used for these military purposes terrestrially. Thirdly, all the major countries are to a certain degree pushing the envelope in terms of what they're doing. And you you hear now, for example, a lot about rendezvous and close proximity operations and things like that. Sure, everybody is pushing the envelope and testing each other out. That's geopolitics. That's strategy. That's the way it is but when you also look at space it's cooperative and it's collaborative i mean for example we have had the recent incident where the soyuz uh, um, vehicle had a malfunction and the two astronauts the american and the astronaut and the russian cosmonaut thankfully were safely brought back to earth in that mishap clearly that's incredible cooperation i actually had the privilege of visiting the cosmonaut and astronaut training center in Moscow about three weeks before the launch of that Soyuz, where those two astronauts, the American and the, the Russian cosmonaut, were in their final stages of training after four or five years. The Americans and the Soviets and then the Russians, for example, have been cooperating even at the height of the Cold War, even at the height of the Cold War. The Americans and the Chinese Sure, they see themselves in various ways as adversaries, I understand that, but also um, they are cooperating in many aspects in space. Space involves so many complex things that it's important for countries to actually work together in various aspects. So uh, space, as well as being strategic and military, it's cooperative, it's collaborative, it's also commercial. And there are major commercial interests, United States and other countries in space. And, of course, if space were to to actually become a theatre of war, those commercial operations would be severely jeopardised. So if you look at the totality of what space is and the totality of the regime we have in place, it's not perfect. But by and large, space has worked over the last 60 years. And sure, we we could certainly do with some more regulation. We could certainly do with greater cooperation, but it still works. And we need to focus on those positive aspects because, and I always say this in this context, if we don't all play the game, at some point none of us can. And so my own feeling is that common sense is the wrong word, that common sense prevails, and people will realise that there is... Whatever it is, there is a line beyond which you should not cross. The regime, the reality encourages hard competition, yes, but on the other hand, not crossing a line where your behaviour becomes so irresponsible that essentially you jeopardise it for yourself and for the whole of humanity, spaces about humanity. And I think in the end, one has to be optimistic, notwithstanding the rhetoric, notwithstanding on Earth, there's clear tensions, but at the same time there are clear tensions, let's say, between Russia and the United States, they are cooperating in space in many ways. And the Soyuz mission, even though it didn't work, but the ISS missions, you know, they are clear examples of cooperation, notwithstanding, obviously, there's the odd moment where there are difficulties. You know, we all understand that. And I think that's the message that, in the end, by listening to all the voices you actually get a much more rational view about the way forward to everybody's benefit and, and you know i hope people listen to that
1: it sounds like the future How that, we all, the future that we all
2: want to live in <laughs> well I, I hope so of course people will accuse me of being pollyanna but i think you have to be because space encourages positiveness because there are so many benefits that humanity has already gained and will gain in the future as long as we allow ourselves to do it, as long as we don't start replicating more of the mistakes that we have on Earth. And I think, you know, I I always say the starting point for this in terms of recalibrating the way we look at space, ironically, let's take the words from President Trump himself. President Trump said, there is no place like space. And that's exactly right. Let's make sure we keep it that way. It is unique, notwithstanding that people regard it, may, may call it a war domain. It is unique. It's always been regarded as unique. And we need to allow for cool heads to ensure that we don't overly jeopardise that. Well,
1: Professor, Stephen, Professor Freeland, Stephen Freeland, thank you very much. You're welcome. That was Stephen Freeland talking about the proposed American Space Force. Stephen's Professor of International Law, Dean of the School of Law at Western Sydney University, a Director of the International Institute of Space Law, and a member of the Space Law Committee of the International Law Association. that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Would you like to hear your voice on radio? Record a voice memo on your phone or use the voicemail tab on the website. We need more people contributing stories to Diffusion. Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please do send me an email with a question I can answer on the show. Please like the Diffusion Science Radio page on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolfe. The news music was Rhinos Theme by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Sound and fact-checking by Charles Willock. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 26 stations on the community radio network, including two RBM in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales, eight C in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2MVR in Nambucca Valley, 3MBR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia, 7LTN City Park Radio in Launceston, Tasmania, and my local station, 2RDJ in Burwood, New South Wales. Diffusion is syndicated globally on the National Science Foundation's Science360 internet radio station and also on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website www.diffusionradio.com That's www.diffusionradio.com and check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed this show, you can explore more than 950 previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Subscribe to the Diffusion YouTube channel at youtube.com c Diffusion Radio. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio.
0: Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know and to appreciate. When you study science you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the earth as it is written in rocks and fossils.